sharp, pointed, and insightful. This is Stacy on the Right on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. My Democratic colleagues are operating purely on political spite directed at the President of the United States. This is ridiculous and it's cruel. And it needs to end now, right now. If he was going to get some uh, border wall, I think the president would be there. Listen, the entire time these negotiations have been going on, it has been the president bringing offers to the Democrats. The Democrats have not one time made any counter offer back. Unity of the Republican Party, it's really a beautiful thing to see. I don't think there'll be any breakaway because they know we need border security and we have to have it. And now, Stacey Washington. Welcome to the program here on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. Thank you for your time. Thank you for giving to Mission Preborn, Preborn Ministries, providing ultrasounds free of charge. 100% of your donation goes to those ultrasounds and sharing the gospel with abortion-minded women, which is the most life-changing aspect of it. It's a one-two punch, the ultrasound that shows them there's a baby in there, and then the heartbeat that they can hear and all of the things that come along with that, and then the gospel which some of these women have never heard before. And they hear it in a loving environment and they come to know the Lord and they realize that their life has changed and it's about to change again because they're going to have a beautiful baby. And that baby's going to not only change their life, but change the trajectory and that they're going to be able to make it, that they don't have to fear anymore because they now have a partnership with this uh, pregnancy resource center uh, for counseling and free diapers and clothes. And I'm talking about everything furniture. Sometimes they'll pay your rent if you're, you know, due to be evicted. Sometimes they'll work you through the process of finding a permanent stable place to live if you've been, you know, thrown out of whatever your previous situation was. They just what they say is we now are partners with you. What do you need? And often it can be so overwhelming to have someone offer for nothing in return. You just say, "I'm I'm going to take this plunge. I'm going to take this exciting experience. I'm going to go forward." And I'm going to trust God. I'm, I'm going to give him my life. I'm going to trust him. I'm going to have this baby. And in response to that, a group of strangers now want to pray with you. They're calling you. They're texting you. They're, you don't have a bed. You don't have any. We are going to provide that. We, you need a stroller. You need a car seat. Um, you know, you, you need help with your utility bills because you got to keep those on. You can't be cold in the winter or, you know, burning up in the summer. And these people just keep giving until it almost seems like it's unreal. It's not like a government program where you just walk in and you fill out, I'm single, I'm pregnant, I already have one kid, and then they do a formula, we owe you 774 bucks a month, and then you go on your business, oh, here's a housing voucher, oh, here's this, here's that, and you just go on and let the government be your husband for the rest of your life. No, this is a completely different radical concept, which is, as a number of people have pointed out over the past few uh, weeks and months, uh, it's the way it's supposed to be an extension of the church, operating in the community, doing the work that it only the church can do well. Because these other sources, the government, what, what lacks there is accountability. There's just get into the system and start getting paid. There's no accountability on, well, when are you coming off? When are you going to start making some right choices? How, how can you begin to educate yourself so that you can live in a manner that would prevent you from making choices that put you in a predicament where you need all of this help. We love the babies. We want to save them. And then we want to see them grow and flourish. But that means the mom needs, like we said, the counseling, some, 
some prayer groups, a Bible study to start really learning how to be responsible. And there's nothing wrong with it. Wherever we find ourselves when we come to know the Lord, he, he's, not, he's not got a sliding scale. Well, you came to me when you were here and you were really just good to go. You just needed salvation. No, we're all wretched sinners, all of us, me included, you included, saved by grace for some of us and others on that path. So what you're doing when you donate to Preborn is you're basically saying, let me accelerate that for one more woman, one more ultrasound. That'll do it. Let me accelerate this one more you know, it's like giving it a power boost. The $140 is giving five power boosts. So you can call 877-616-2396 or go to AFR.net, 877-616-2396 or go to AFR.net. Before we get to, um, I have a couple audio bits for you. Before we get to that, I want to listen to Preborn Cut 0509. This drives the point home. And I just, I love hearing these because it's real these are not manufactured, you know, these aren't paid testimonials. These are real women who love what happened to them so much that they want to share the information with, you know, millions of strangers so that they can have the opportunity to show the impact that your $28 or your 50 or your 100 or your $140 will have on the life of one young woman and her baby and really the whole family thereafter. It's 0509. I actually found out I was pregnant October 2nd. I was happy but shocked, and I went outside to tell the kid's father, and he was like, you can't afford this. And it's like my feelings was forced to go another way. And everything was kind of taken away from me at that moment. And so some told me, just go to the free pregnancy clinic and just, you know, see if you're really pregnant. He didn't believe I was pregnant, and he didn't believe the baby was his. It was like anything to not want to have this baby. So I was sitting there and I seen the ultrasound and I just seen the baby. And at that moment, I wanted to keep the baby. She said, they go to heartbeat. There was another life that was inside of me that's growing. And I said, I can't make this life suffer because of someone else's decision or because someone else. And I feel that's a blessing for me to be a great mother to someone to teach them because I haven't had that childhood. And I knew just from that point on, me having that baby, I'd be able to get far. The baby would be able to get far no matter what. No matter what comes my way, matters if the dad be there or not. And that changed my life. Just from that ultrasound picture, just me knowing that I'm going to keep my baby. And you hear the emotional tone in her voice, but you also know that, you know, so this is before now she's since had the baby and, and, you know, the pregnancy resource center that she partnered up with is helping her every step of the way, not just with the newborn, but with anything that the other children that she already has need. And I know there's a place for a social safety net. I'm, I've never said there's no place for it. I, I believe that the, we should have a social safety net, but I think we've gotten so far outside of what any constitutional uh, mandate for a social safety net would provide, which the Constitution doesn't actually provide for that. But we've also gotten outside of what God's Word says we're supposed to do. We are not supposed to hire people, which is what we do when we elect people, to take money from other people and give it to us. That is wrong. And that's what we've done. And Mission Preborn reverses that with the simple fact that it's 100% of what you give goes directly to the ultrasounds. The ultrasounds are not only provided free to 
the resource centers, but they're provided free to the women. So women don't have to pay to get these. They just go there to get the pregnancy test. If it's positive, boom, they're offered an ultrasound. And in that moment of decision, especially when you hear her story, she was actually thinking, you know, he's right. I can't afford a baby. Notice how he said, you can't afford it. Now he's standing there live and, and able to work and take care, but he, he doesn't have any interest in it. But preborn goes around all of those considerations and circumstances. It's irrelevant who can afford what. It's do you want to make the right decision? Make the right decision and we'll make everything else happen. Starting with the ultrasound, which you are funding and you helped us meet our goal and you're awesome. And so if you're just tuning in, we're talking about preborn ministries. The number to call is 877-616-2396, 877-616-2396, or go to AFR.net. We have the graphics up online. If you are um, watching one of the live streams, the number is there. It's on the screen. We'll go ahead and leave it up while I'm talking here uh, through the rest of this segment. And we have, we're periodically flashing it up so that you can have a chance to see the graphic and, and use either the phone number and speak to one of our wonderful volunteers or go to AFR.net. Um, so that, that's awesome. Now we also loaded up some slides, which we were, we're going to get to in the third segment of the program. We're going to have these slides from the department of Homeland security about immigration. And we're going to be using these over the next few days and possibly weeks, depending on how long the, the border shutdown lasts to demonstrate exactly what's going on because the truth telling that is required is not being done in mainstream media. But right now, I want to listen to Matthew Cottonetti of the award-winning Washington Free Beacon. Uh, he says, the longer the government shutdown drags on, the more leverage the president has. It's number two. I noticed something interesting, and in just in the hours since the speeches, President Trump and the Republicans continuing to talk about border security. Pelosi and Schumer, though, now shifting focus to the government workers. Because maybe they're not on a solid political ground if it is them being intransigent over a fence or wall that they have voted for in the past. So you're right. There may be slightly cynically hoping to miss that first paycheck. I wonder, though, if it gets to a second paycheck. We already see people beginning to blame the Democrats or assign them some responsibility for the shutdown. More people assign President Trump's responsibility, but that number assigning the Democrats responsibility is rising. That will continue to rise as the shutdown goes on. And I also have to wonder, here's Nancy Pelosi's restoration as Speaker of the House. And she's going to spend, what, her first month dealing with this and not all of that liberal wish list that she had wanted to pass legislation on and shift the debate in terms of liberal agenda. So I, I continue to believe the longer this drags on, the more leverage President Trump has. He does. He's, he's right. In fact, if you go back to what Ariel Davidson said in hour one uh, about the, the common sense nature of the proposal that's being made, it's simply, you know, not it's not even, hey, let's build a brand new wall along all twenty three hundred miles. It's let's fill in the spots where there's no barrier. I mean, it's really he's boiled this down to the smallest common denominator of what his original immigration stance was, which should have been passed immediately by the Republicans. It should have been immediately ushered through the House and taken to the Senate so that they could start twisting arms and doing whatever they needed to do. But they weren't able to get it together in the House. The Freedom Caucus and some other organizations were just working behind the scenes to make sure it couldn't happen. And I think that was back when the Never Trumpville folks were kind of, they still had their heyday going on. 
And uh, it was really beneficial for them to to act in this way because they didn't think the president really had the support of the majority of the American people. But when those numbers start coming back in from the surveys that showed that 88 percent of Republicans approve of President Trump and that 90 plus percent of the women, like 95 percent, I think the survey said 95 percent of Republican women approve of Donald Trump. That's when they started to realize if we don't support him, we're actually looking at not being reelected. And some of them didn't get reelected. The majority of it was due to attrition from retirements and, and uh, ballot harvesting in California. We all know how that works. Um, but it brings us to what the president's kind of what his plan is here. And he's been very open about what, what he plans to do. And I just want to wait one more quick point before we get to this next piece of audio. I, so the president said a couple weeks ago before the shutdown, it was over the Christmas break. He said, well, if the government shut down, I'll own it. It's, you know, I'll own that. And I know what he was doing was he was saying, I'm responsible, I'm the president. But what the Democrats have been able to do is to use that as a talking point and say, well, he said it's his fault. It's his fault. It's his shutdown. And he gets the blame for it. And American people are like, well, he did say he, you know, he'd own it. It's his shutdown. But as time wears on and the president makes more and more of his points and hits the, the, the dastardly nature of what's going on at the southern border, more Americans will say, sure, he owns the shutdown, but the Democrats own part of it because they refuse to negotiate. It's one thing for them to say, we don't like what you're putting forward. But as Paris Denard said yesterday, if he asks me to bring the chicken to the, the get together and I say, I don't know if I'm, I'm going to bring chicken, I, I'd rather bring potato salad. Well, now we're negotiating. But if he says, I know you're coming over and we're so excited to have you, but we're going to have a pretty large number of people and it's a potluck. And I say, yeah, I'm coming, but I'm not bringing anything. Well, that's going to be a non-starter, isn't it? Unless I'm sick or uh, I just don't have anything. That's not the case with the Democrats. They are not negotiating. And they, they must negotiate. And, and I really don't think it's a negotiation when we talk about the southern border and national sovereignty. I think they should be 100% on board. And if their constituents have a problem with it, they should say, well, you know what? It's about safety. We can't have dead Americans on our watch that are our responsibility, our fault, because we didn't do the right thing. But they're too, too big of a cowards to even say that. Amazing. All right, when we get back, we're going to have Sonny Wilson, who's the director of Protect America First, right after these messages. Stay there. Hello everyone, I'm Tim Wildman, president of American Family Association and American Family Radio. You can't squeeze more into three days than we will in Washington, D.C. on our spiritual heritage tour in June and in September. We're going to the Capitol, Library of Congress, the Supreme Court, Lincoln Memorial, the Korean and Vietnam Memorials, the Iwo Jima Memorial, the Arlington National Cemetery, the White House, that's outside, Jefferson Memorial and the National Archives, and we're going to Mount Vernon on that Saturday of our tour. So, so much to see, so much to do, and it includes lectures and talks from Stephen McDowell, who will be our historian along the way. For more information on these June or September spiritual heritage tours, 
and the separate tour to Williamsburg, Jamestown, and Yorktown. For all the information on this, go to spiritualheritagetours.com. That's spiritualheritagetours.com. This is Viewpoints with Kirby Anderson. Immigration will still be a big issue this year. That is why we need to be asking good questions, especially of our elected representatives. Michael Brown, in a recent column, asked four good questions that we might want to ask of those who are supposed to be trying to fix our immigration system. He admits that he is not an expert and has no agenda. He is genuinely asking these questions. He asks that if illegal immigrants are flooding our country, what's so controversial about building a border wall? I think this is a reasonable question. You can't seriously say that it costs too much when the federal budget this year will exceed $4.1 trillion. You can't say a wall or a steel fence won't work when we have many examples of them working in other countries, even in this country. Second, since when has anyone been able to force us to take in immigrants? He wonders why the way we treat those in a migrant caravan has now become a test of our national identity. We have a long track record of compassionate treatment of refugees. In fact, it reminds us the United States has a larger immigrant population than any other country. He also wonders what's so controversial about wanting to preserve our national identity. People come to America for a reason. If we cease to be America, there's no reason for people to come here. All we have to do is look at the growing Muslim influence in European countries to see how a country's culture can radically change. And finally, he wants to know why we can't make a path for citizenship with penalties for those who came in illegally years ago who have been working jobs, obeying laws, and contributing to the good of society. These are the kinds of questions we need to be asking our elected representatives. They deserve a thoughtful response. I'm Kirby Anderson, and that's my point of view. Take Kirby and the Point of View team with you on the go with the Point of View app. Search for Point of View Radio at the Apple or Google Play stores. This is Stacy on the Right with Stacy Washington on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. Welcome back to the program. Uh, we are so excited to have our next guest come on and talk to us about, uh, well, his organization that he's the founder of. Um, which is protect America first, and then also what's going on in the world of GOP politics here in the state of Missouri. Sonny Wilson, thank you so much for joining us today. Stacy, thank you for having me. It's a pleasure. I, I follow you, and uh, I appreciate everything you've done out there for the conservative movement, and, oh, thank and, you. and also for you know our gun rights out there also leading that march. <laughs> Thanks. Thank you. I appreciate that. Uh, well, you know what? So let's talk a little bit about what's going on in Missouri uh, with the Missouri GOP. It's the leadership race, I'm assuming. First of all, I, before we get to that, can 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 you just tell us what Protect America First is, your organization, what that is and why you started it? Uh, well, Protect America First is a political action committee. We raise money uh, to support grassroots candidates that actually – uh, like-minded, like Trump, uh, candidates that we know that we can send into, you know, D.C. or even local that will carry that agenda. Uh, and a lot of times those grassroots individuals, they, they don't have access to the money. So that's, that's what I've been doing is crisscrossing across America, raising money, helping each, and, and each candidate I possibly can in any way, if that's helping them on the ground, fundraising, uh, arranging different events for them. So that, that's that's what the Protect America First. But that all started. This is the race for the the chair. 
actually started last election um, when it came to the Senate race, because uh, I was actually working for the state GOP at the time. I ran four counties. I was a director for them. Uh, where our, our objective was to help all the candidates fairly and evenly, and, and during that process, three weeks towards the end of the primary, the RNC suspended Rule 11, which allowed money to flow in to help Josh Holly, uh, which I, I, you know, I voiced my opinion at the time. I said, there's no reason for us to do this because it's going to cause, you know, fractions in the grassroots establishment and everything else. Because if we're supposed to mobilize help whoever is elected to defeat Claire, you know, they just it made it very difficult. Uh, once they did that, I resigned from from the GOP because of that, as a, as a protest, because if we were supposed to, you know, come out and embrace that that movement of being fair elections, and then actually doing the opposite, so that's why I resigned at that point. And what was your role at that point when you resigned? I, I was I was a field director, so in four counties. So in those counties, I would organize uh, canvassing. Uh, any, anything with, with any of those candidates in those counties, it was judge races, uh, state reps, all those. So, what we had is we had offices throughout the state of Missouri that each one of us had our role, um, and we were funded by the RNC our operation. But, but like I said, Rule Eleven, a lot of people didn't even know what it, that it rule even existed, but that rule was in place to prevent any influence in our primary races. And that's when they suspended it. And that's when the leadership, what we have currently still right now, uh, they suspended it. They went to the state committee. The state committee said they wouldn't vote on it. Then they went to an executive committee, and that's 13 members of the state committee are on there and had them suspend the rule, which actually they didn't even really need. It's the two individuals that we send to D.C. to represent us at the RNC. They're the two that actually had the power to do it. But the leadership decided to use them as a scapegoat, which I thought was wrong. They were, you know, they were playing politics with our state. They were influencing it. And what we have right now is going to be business as it was before because the vice chair, the governor has a nominated to be the chair. So nothing's going to change. And what we need is we need a new face. We need new leadership for the new GOP. Because if we're, if we're really going to have, we're going to have a tough race in 2020. Because right now, as a statewide race in Missouri, we have only one person who's been elected for their position. That's Jay Ashcroft. We have a governor who was not voted for governor, attorney general, and so forth. So it's, it's going to be tough. So, so let's talk about need, that a little bit. We need we, to bring everybody together. Right. And I, I'm, I think the, the reason this, this story, when I heard about what was going on, I thought it was kind of fascinating is because there are similar things, power struggles, uh, kind of schisms within the GOP grassroots and the establishment types uh, going on across the country. And some of it was brought on by what what has happened here is obviously um, you had you have Claire McCaskill, who was someone that the Republicans wanted to see gone from day one. But she had a pretty strong presence and she was able to even defy, you know, the, the she was more popular in the year President Trump was elected probably than ever before because liberals were looking to her to kind of be a check against the president. And she really did right. go against him on his judicial picks, et cetera, et cetera. And that's why the she race did. for her 
the person to oppose her on the right was so strong, right, Sonny? There were, there were so many people here in Missouri who were like, I'm fit for this job. I can take her on. And so it was a bit of a, it was a local story, but I did notice people from outside the state kind of saying, what's going on in Missouri? Why, why is the RNC, you know, interceding in your race? And I, mm-hmm. I supported Josh Hawley. Um, I, I was fine with him going against her. I thought he would be a good kind of foil to her being older and a grandmother with no kids at home and being really hardcore liberal and him being younger, having small kids and being a fresh face for, for the party, even though, you know, he had just, I mean, literally just been elected statewide, uh, to the attorney general. I was like, you know what? It's never perfect. It's never the person that you really, really want. But when rule 11 was suspended and everybody started losing their stuffing, I saw what ends up happening when people from outside the state interfere is it makes people who would normally cobble together in a coalition, despite their differences, they kind of take their ball and go home. And I saw a lot of people saying, well, I don't have to vote for him, you know, because the, the RNC is picking for us and that's not what we want here in Missouri. So what is your plan? If you're elected the head of the Missouri GOP, what, what would you do to change the situation or to kind of keep the local politics local? Well, you know, that's the thing, too, that, you know, I'm willing to stand up against the, the RNC because I resigned. I didn't have to. I could have went along, you know, with, with the whole agenda. But I, I, if, I, if I'm going to tell everybody I'm going to do something fair and honest, and if I went along with it, I thought that's why I had to resign. So I'm willing to do what it takes to resign. And I put my political career on the line by doing it. A lot of people looked at me and said, you know, you're, you're creating a political suicide here. And I said, you know what, I really don't care because I'm doing what's right. And at, at any cost, you know, you need, if it's right, it's right. You need to do it. And as an example, I need to set for my children. I have four boys. You know, if I tell them you need to do the right thing, you know, then, you know, I have to lead by example. And the thing that, you know, about the, the fractions they cause by doing that, I came around and I even supported Josh. He was not, he was not the, the candidate because once I resigned from the GOP, I worked in Cortland Sykes' campaign. I was his campaign chairman, as, you know, to, to prove my point. And we lost. You know, Josh won large numbers. Um, but when I went, when I left there, I went to Arizona and I worked on Sheriff Joe Arpaio's campaign for his Senate race. And after that, that's when we formed Protect America First. And I even came back here and did fundraising for Josh Holly and actually gave him a check. And you know, to show the people out there that you know it could be a tough, bitter primary, but we have to come together. You know, you got to lick your wounds, and we got to fight together. And that example right there alone, I could show the people across the state that, hey, look, we have a tough primary. We need to work together. And that's one thing I know I can do is bring these different factions together and, and build a nice big coalition that we can bring a new face to the GOP, a new look, because it is time for it. You know, a lot of them have to realize this is Trump's GOP. And, and that's, that's what we're going to carry across the line. And that's how I'll be able to work with the establishment and the grassroots. Because I do that currently right now. I work with both circles. And that, that's what I can do. So who are you running against? Kay, uh, Kay is actually the vice chair right now. And uh, she's on the state committee. Who? And uh, it's, just, it's just us two right now, as, uh, as I know of. Who who did you say? I think the connection was a little weak there. Who is it? Oh, okay. Kay Hoplander. Uh, she's the vice chair. She's uh, with Todd Graves. 
So it's Todd Graves is the chair, and then Kay is the vice chair. The governor picked her, uh, and it's just a nomination. He doesn't have any ability to actually put her in place. The state committee will be the ones to vote on it. So it's not regular citizens so, who are just running around like on normal right. elections. This is kind of an internal process where you have to be on internal. the committee there's, in there's, order. There's 68, and those 68 are the ones who vote. Okay. And that'll actually be at the end of this month on the 26th. We'll adjourn in Jeff City, and that's when the voting process will start. So the nominations, someone within the state committee will nominate Kay, and then someone will nominate me, and then we'll have a runoff. And whoever gets the majority wins. And at that point, that individual will take the leadership immediately. So how do you contrast yourself against her? Um, obviously, she's got some political connections if she was appointed by the governor for the vice chair mm -hmm. position. How do you contrast yourself against her? Well, you know, we had a problem in the primary, you know, Rule 11. Uh, Kate was one of those votes. She was on the executive committee. So we, we already know that if the RNC wants to come in, she's going to go along with it. Also, the other thing is, too, you know, we did our research, too, and we can't find anything her supporting the president. So we, I have been out there championing the president the whole time, and there's a difference. You know, I am definitely a, a Trump enthusiast, you know, supporter. Uh, I can't say so much for Kay. There's nothing, you know, ever has her opinion if they're to support the president or not. But I, I believe if you're going to take the leadership role of the GOP for the state of Missouri, you, you think you would, you'd have an enthusiastic person that would have our icon right now is Trump. He, he's, he's our golden, you know, he's, he's our ticket. You know, this is how we're going to take over and continue to take uh, victory across the line here in the state. Mm. So there, there's, well. a, there's a difference. And also, too, is that part of the chair's responsibility is raising money. For, for the state, and I have been doing that. And that's the thing is, too, Stacey, is that I was probably unique in the position of any chair, is that I have been involved into the lowest part of the ground game, knocking doors, organizing uh, events, and, you know, even raising money. So I have a lot of experience on all levels. Hmm. Well, it sounds like it's going to shape up to be a pretty interesting race. It'll be among the committee members who they're the ones who will actually cast the deciding votes. I wanted to wish right. you the best with it. And I, thank you for coming on today to kind of explain thank, the thank inner workings. Thank you for workings. having me on. And like I said, I appreciate what you do. You keep it up, okay? Thank you. I will. I'm, I'm just doing the best with what I've been given, using my resources. And I think that's <laughs> what you're doing. And I'm, I'm excited about yeah, uh, the prospects. Thank you for coming on today and explaining the situation. All right. Thank All you right. so much. Sonny Wilson, Director of Protect America First. Uh, wonderful to have him on the show today. Uh, I, I think, so when I was at the rally last weekend, I had a friend approach me and say, you've got to interview Sonny Wilson. Here's what's going on. And he kind of gave me like the Cliff's notes. And I said, you know what? I, I do want to have him on the show because I think if you're listening to that and you're hearing how it works at the state level for the committee, you know, for your state level Republican Party and the committee, you know, kind of workings, Every state's not the same, but you can kind of get an idea and maybe you're listening to this and you've got some extra time on your hands. Maybe you're completing a project or you're completing a role, uh, another volunteer organization and you're moving on. It'd be great to have Bible believing Christians going into the state committees for the Republican Party. And the reason I'm stressing that here after this interview 
is because this is a situation we have a lot of people who know everything about the Republican Party platform, but they don't know as much about God's word or they're not as in tune to the biblical worldview as we would like them to be. And in order to have a functioning political apparatus that reflects the people that are supposed to you know, represent, you have to have those people present in that process. And this is the part of rendering unto Caesar that which is Caesar's. And, and it's the reason why I bristle so much when I have someone say, well, politics doesn't matter. Well, of course it does. Of course it matters. It shouldn't be everything that you think about. It shouldn't be the only thing that we care about, but certainly it matters. And so we all have a role to play. For some people, it's just that you know you're going to vote every single time there's an election and you're going to tell your friends who you're voting for and why. You're going to tell your family members. You may not convert anybody or convince anybody, but you're just going to say, I'm a Bible-believing Christian and you know it. You've seen my life. You know that I'm, I'm not a you know, fly-by-the-wind type person. And this is who I'm voting for this go-round. And then you, then you go and you actually vote. Uh, and if there's a chance to make phone calls from your house or send emails, you do that. That's what many of us are called to do. Others are like Sonny, where he's actually going up against what he feels to be an improper uh, structure in the state GOP. And he's going in there to, to right the wrongs that he feels are present. And that's his role. In addition to, he named off fundraising and a bunch of other things he's been able to do. In addition to starting companies and stuff, he has an impressive resume. So I, my question to you is, what, what time do you have to dedicate to this? And if it's a minimal amount of time, and I totally get that, children, family, those obligations work. They come before political aspirations or, or volunteering. But if you have some time, could, is there something you could be doing at the state level? Committee ship, you know, committee man, committee woman, um, you know, block captain, precinct captain. Um, maybe you're just helping to organize the annual picnic and inviting people to come out and fellowship so we have some community. Um, and if nothing else, just doing the basic role of citizen, highest office in the land, is that you vote every single time. And that you make those phone calls when our when our legislators get out of out of control. Everyone can do those things. So um, I, I I want you to be encouraged hearing him talk about what he's doing. Let's all get involved and do the part that we can do to make sure that our government is functioning properly. Even if we're talking state level, which is important too. A lot of your tax burden is determined at the state level. Make sure that you're involved. Uh, so now I want to get to President Trump saying what he'll do if he doesn't win the government shutdown right after these messages. <laughs> Stay right there. We'll take calls if you want. 866-963-2037. 866-963-2037. Stay right there. Can solid teamwork building principles apply to all of life? Here's Tony Dungy, author of The Soul of a Team, with today's Uncommon Moment. I remember a time when the Colts were preparing for the college draft and needed to choose between two defensive players. One was big, strong, and dominant on the field. The other had great speed but was undersized. Both were exceptional college players. Yet we had some questions about the first player's attitude and commitment. So we brought in three of his college teammates and asked each of them, if we brought you here, which of your teammates would you want to have on our team as well? None of them named the player we were considering. 
We ended up drafting the second player and he was a good choice. When you're selfless, you'll earn the respect of your teammates. Tony Dungy, best-selling author of The Soul of a Team from Tyndale House. More at CoachDungy.com. That's CoachDungy.com. There are many ways you can listen to the shows of Urban Family Talk. One of those ways is through our very own app. Whether you have an iPhone or an Android, just go to the App Store and search for Urban Family Talk. You'll have immediate access to 24-hour programming as well as the podcast for each show. You'll be able to tune in no matter where you are. Speaking of tuning in, we have our own channel on another radio app called TuneIn. Cool, right? Urban Family Talk is everywhere. Just download the app and take us wherever you go. The Awakening on Urban Family Talk. You know, a bunch of people who thought Obama was the Messiah. There are a lot of people who are kind of treating Trump like that. Bishop E.W. Jackson. Folks, I'm not looking for a Messiah. I've already got one. His name is Jesus, the Son of the living God. We put our ultimate trust in him. All other human beings are fallible. The Awakening, weekday mornings at 9 central on Urban Family Talk. Securing America. The Army is gearing up for Combined Resolve 11, Part 2, in Germany. Soldiers spent two weeks during the first phase of the biannual exercise engaging mock enemy aircraft. First Sergeant Edward Jervis was part of the drills. So it's a big multinational effort, all right? right. Uh, the importance of the OP4 and us maintaining our, our abilities and our skills really improves everyone's readiness across NATO on, on both sides. First Lieutenant Daniel Camacho says they also practice recovering downed aircraft. So, you know, we always have a cycle of new guys coming in, um, old guys leaving. So we had a younger team coming out here in some ways. And so here we actually had the opportunity of getting them that experience and uh, seeing what it's like doing a realistic scenario. The soldiers worked alongside more than 5,000 troops from 16 nations. The second phase of Combined Resolve 11 kicks off next week. In Washington, Rachel Sutherland, Fox News. You can watch a live stream of the show on Facebook or YouTube at Stacy on the Right. Now, back to the show on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. I have the absolute right to declare a national emergency. The lawyers have so advised me. I'm not prepared to do that yet, but if I have to, I will. I have no doubt about it, I will. I have the absolute right to declare this was passed by Congress. So when you say, was it passed by Congress? It was. Other presidents have used it, some fairly often. I have the absolute right to declare a national emergency. I haven't done it yet. I may do it. If this doesn't work out, probably I will do it. I would almost say definitely. This is a national emergency. Because I would like to do the deal through Congress. And because it makes sense to do it through Congress. But the easy route for me would have been call a national emergency and do it. And I will tell you, this is a tremendous crisis at the border. Hmm. It is. It's a total crisis. So uh, let's listen to Sarah Huckabee Sanders talking about the Democrats living in denial. And then we'll get to that slideshow presentation, which you can find at Politico. I posted it at Stacy on the right, the page on Facebook. But 
here's what's important. If you're watching the live stream, you'll see the slides that I'm about to put up for you. And if you don't watch via live stream when you're, you're one of our terrestrial listeners, welcome to the show. We really appreciate your ears. And you can just click through online to any one of our channels there, Twitter, any of those, and you'll see the link to Politico, which that's where we got the slides. They're directly from DHS. DHS gave them to Politico. Politico published them. We're using this opportunity to share the information as well. So let's first listen to the press secretary uh, for the Trump administration, Sarah Sanders, number four. It's actually more than that. The president's fighting not just for the wall, but he's fighting for border security. He's fighting for the protection and the safety of every American citizen. And the fact that the Democrats want to continue to live in denial and pretend that things that uh, are coming across this border that bring harm to people in this country aren't happening it is frankly sad. It's ridiculous. And I think you saw that on full display last night in their response to the president. I can't find a single other reason other than that they want to fight this president on every single thing. They care more about playing politics than they do about protecting Americans. Uh, I think what we saw last night was frankly um, pathetic excuse. If this is the face and the future of the Democrat Party, I think things are looking really good for Republicans. But what our focus here is making sure that we get border security. We've laid out a very clear proposal. In fact, in that proposal, we listed things that the Democrats wanted us to do, demonstrating our willingness to work together with Democrats. They said they didn't want a concrete wall, yep. so we made it a steel barrier. They requested specific types of technology to be included uh, at ports of entry. We put that in our proposal. We have shown our willingness to work with them. Now they have to show that they're willing to do their jobs and do something other than fight this president. So let's be perfectly clear here. Everything that's going on at the southern border is of the, the nature of a crisis because it's uncontrolled. Controlled immigration brings about assimilation and benefits the nation. Uncontrolled immigration brings about death. And what death am I talking about? Well, 20 people their, I should say, their bodies found at the southern border, and they're blaming it on, um, well, they're blaming it on gang violence from Mexico. It's a grisly Mexican gang battle near the U.S. border leaves 21 dead, not just 20, 21, and there were 17 bodies found burned. President Trump uh, is visiting McAllen, Texas, on today. And it's about 56 miles from Cuidad Miguel Ailman across the Rio Grande River. He's trying to drum up support for the border wall and, you know, a lot of illegal crossings, et cetera, et cetera. Um, one of the bodies that was recovered from this horrible incident is wearing the remains of a baseball cap bearing the letters and logo of the local Gulf cartel. Others wore the remains of bulletproof vests with the same insignia. Turf wars between the Gulf cartel and its chief rivals, the Zetas, have been a key source of bloodshed over recent years in Tamaulipas, one of the most violent states in Mexico. Luis Rodriguez, a spokesman for state police, said in a statement that it appeared gunmen from the Gulf cartel had fought with members of the Northeast cartel, a group that actually split off from the Zetas. Irving Barrios, the state's attorney general, said in a radio interview that authorities found semi-automatic weapons and bulletproof vehicles at the site. The area is greatly fought over by traffickers of arms and drugs, as well as, those, as well as those who help illegal aliens cross into the United States. Tens of thousands of people have been killed in Mexico during years of fighting between security forces and cartels, 
warring over drug trafficking, extortion rackets, and the exploitation of illegal aliens. Did you hear what I just said there? This problem is fueled by the desire to push drugs and illegal aliens into America. It's no secret that people who live in South America believe that because they share you know, the hemisphere with us, that they are owed an opportunity to live in America. You know, truth be told, I believe if they took a survey and, they, and it was an honest survey and there was nothing for anybody to lose by telling the truth, that most people in these war-torn, gang-infested countries would admit that they would prefer that the United States just take over the entire thing, South America and all of America up to Canada. And some Canadians would probably prefer that we run their area, even though they're hardcore, dyed-in-the-wool socialists, and they can't get an MRI or a CT to save their lives, literally. They want to be here, and they would prefer it if we would bring law and order down there. They would love it. What they have now is chaos, murder, bloodshed, and an utter lack of, they don't have any desire to live where they come from. They want to live here. And so, you know, I don't blame them. If you look at the vistas from the countries that they're coming from, these are beautiful countries with stunning coastlines and just, but, but the countries themselves are not just poorly run, they're pits. They're actually hellish situations where there's not enough food, there's not enough water, and there's no safety. There's no point in starting a business because the drug cartel is going to take anything that you create, that you make. They're, they're enslaved to these people. And why? Because we here in our country, we have our whole breakdown of the family and everybody's scratching their chins and looking off furtively in, in one direction or the other, trying to figure out what's going on. It's because... American men are making less than women. That's what Tucker Carlson just posited. And I'm sure that plays a role. Social scientists are rebutting what Tucker Carlson said by saying, well, the thing is, it has nothing to do with that. It doesn't have anything to do with arbitrary choices made by people in America. Yes, it does. If you choose to have sex out of wedlock and be a little, you know, uh, the acronyms abound online. You know what I'm talking about. If you choose to live that lifestyle, then you're saying, I'm going to have kids out of wedlock and I'm not going to be a part of the American dream. I'm not going to be a part of the middle class. Because as soon as you start having kids out of wedlock, that's the path that you're on. And there are ways to, you know, you're already on that path. You already have kids out of wedlock. There are ways to still make it in America. But the fastest track to success in America involves not having any children until you're married, graduating from high school and working. You know, you can't be a criminal. You can't have a whole bunch of kids. You have to do it in those three things. If you just do those three things, you pretty much know you're not going to be poverty stricken. Now, are you going to be Jeff Bezos? Are you going to be a one percenter? Who knows? Who knows what you're going to do? What, what, what are you planning on doing? What, what's your, what, what goals have you set? What are you praying for? I don't know what you're going to do. But the idea that that has nothing to do with what fuels the drug trade They're not sending drugs in here and forcing people to take them. People are choosing to take drugs to get away from their life, to get away from the horrible decisions they've made. And the Democrats aren't helpful. They actually are now running a party that exists solely to make sure that no one has to pay consequences for the wrongheaded actions they've taken. Had a kid out of wedlock? Democrats say just have an abortion. Like that doesn't have its own ramifications. Uh, Are you a criminal? Democrats say, oh, you know what? Even if you're a criminal, we'll make sure you still have voting rights and you shouldn't have to go to prison for very long. Just, you know, 
You got problems with your taxes. Democrats, uh, just evade your taxes. Just do whatever you feel like you're doing. And if you're a Democrat and you're listening to this show and you're like, I don't believe that, well, then stop voting for the Democrats. Stop acting like you can vote for people who believe this stuff, but that doesn't mean you don't believe it. You're condoning it. You're voting for them. They believe it. You believe it. An unborn baby is not alive, but an illegal alien has more rights than you and I do. That's what the Democrats believe. A person who's mentally ill and they call themselves transgendered has the right to make everyone in their world act like they're mentally ill too, rather than that person getting counseling. We have to change all of our laws and societal norms to suit a tiny population of mentally ill people. That's what the Democrats believe, and that's what they want you to act out. It's just enraging that people don't see the connection between so much drugs pumped into this country. It, it should be that they bring the drugs to this country and they can't find anybody to buy it. It should be that they bring the drugs here. They're trying to get it into the communities. And there's just like nobody interested in taking any drugs. And they're like, well, we maybe should ship these drugs further south or something. But there's money here. There's disposable income here. And there's plenty of people who want to buy and take drugs. And then we're wondering, well, how, how, why are there such high murder rates in the inner cities of America? Well, first of all, they're run by the Democrats. And second of all, you have a lot of familial breakdown. And even for families that are intact, where the kids are still getting caught up in this drug, you know, the, the, the opioid epidemic. What's going on there? Who gets to take some responsibility there? I have a heart that bleeds absolutely for any family that's lost a child or a spouse or someone in their family to the opioid epidemic. Absolutely. But we have got to start acknowledging all parts, all facets of these issues. Nobody gets off the hook. The Democrats say, if you make mistakes, we'll legislate you out of them. We as Americans should be saying, anyone can make a mistake. Anyone can come back from that mistake. But we don't want to be a nation of enablers. By having an open border, we're basically saying to these South American countries, you know, our laws say you can't come here illegally. But you can. Just snatch up somebody's kid and drag that kid 1,400 miles till they're basically so dehydrated that they'll die once they get here. But that's the way that you get into our country is drag a kid with you. Don't let the kid go when you get in the country or treat him like a person. Sexually traffic them. That is what these laws not being properly applied and the intransigence and obstruction of the Democrats are reaping at our southern border. And they are responsible. Anyone who advocates for open borders, who doesn't want a a concrete barrier, anyone who doesn't want to see true law and order existing on our border, You're advocating for that human smuggling, human trafficking, sex trafficking, small children being raped, and all of the Americans who've lost family members to illegal alien crime, people who've lost their businesses and their livelihood because their identities have been stolen. And by the time they can clean everything up, their whole business life is trashed. All of these crimes going on because we're letting people in here who, you know, God bless folks who live in these war-torn countries who want a better life, but they're not owed anything by America. And I know that Just what I've just said there, some person is already furiously typing like that cat meme. They're on their computer and they're just mad to the high heavens that I've said these things. How dare you equate the Democrats with lawlessness? I don't, it's not about me daring. I'm just speaking the truth here. If we want to see something different in describing what the Democrats are and who they are, who they represent, illegal aliens, refugees, and and lawbreakers, we want that to change 
then the Democrats have to change who they're representing. They have to change who their primary constituents are. They have to change the legislation they're putting forward. Right now, they're putting forward gun control legislation to confiscate the actual back of a long gun, the part that puts it in the crook of your arm that makes it easier to control. Then when people are accidentally killed because guns are less easy to control in their normal use and operation, they'll say, well, we have to confiscate the gun. Do you notice the pattern here? We want to take all your guns. We want to open up the southern border to the drug cartels. We think MS-13 has a divine spark. And oh, by the way, you don't need to be able to defend yourself. Who cares what the Constitution says about the border or about your right to own and operate a firearm? That's who the Democrats are right now. It's not me saying that's who they are. It is who they are. And so I thought it was interesting when Ariel Davidson said that there was this... um, There's a lot of strife in the Democrats right now because they have the new breed of people coming up who've been educated in the K through 12 public education system run by the Marxist teachers. And they've they've been taught from the time they were knee high to a grasshopper that America's a horrible place, even though everybody wants to live here. And that, you know, America needs to do everything that it can to make sure to welcome everybody in because of our horrible history on civil rights, yada, yada, yada. And these lies have been taught to kids that, that socialism is better than capitalism, that What's really needed is more command and control structure. The government needs to be even bigger than it is. And through all of that, they're surprised. Nancy and Chuck and all of them are surprised that the new flock of incoming congressmen and elected people, they're young, they're idiots, and they're Marxists. Alexandria Cortez, college educated at a respectable American higher educational institution, She doesn't know anything about government or economics, literally nothing. But she looks cute dancing on videos, so she got sent to Congress. Don't blame the messenger for telling the truth. When Americans, especially those of us who have a Christian worldview and trust God's word, we believe in Jesus Christ, we've given ourselves to him. As soon as we stop voting for the Democrats and start really paying attention to where we're putting what is due Caesar... We'll see some changes. All right. If you're upset, sorry, not sorry, but God bless from the heartland. And I'll be back with you tomorrow. Tomorrow.